Blog Talk Radio. about the judicial response, the court response to sexual molestation, incest, call it what you will, um, of fathers or mothers in in very, very, very rare cases, um, and the court's response to those allegations when there's a custody dispute. And I think for some people who may not be familiar with this phenomenon, this is going to be a real eye-opening show, because I think Generally, we tend to think of the courts as a place that we go to for justice and that are fair. Those people who work with the courts in domestic violence cases, in sexual assault cases, oftentimes leave courts with just the opposite impression. Today, I have a woman with me who has a great deal of experience dealing with the courts in these situations. Marley, thank you for joining us. Marley McLean, um, thank you for joining us. Are you there? Yes, I am. Thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be here. Good, good. And I'm very glad to have you here. Marley and I met a few weeks ago again. We've actually talked before, haven't we, Marley, I think? Yeah, yeah, I've been on your show before. Yeah, and um, but we uh, met again a few weeks ago, and um, we started talking about a particular situation that reopened this for both of us. The Boston Globe ran an article that exemplified how the courts fail miserably, dangerously, when it comes to sexual abuse of children and custody decisions. Marley, first of all, let's back up. Tell us who you are and what your background is and why you're involved in these kinds of things. Well, actually, I'm a protective mom, and I'm involved in this because I had my own case years ago um, where I was unable to protect my daughter in the courts due to sexual abuse by her father. Uh, the more information that came out on abuse, the more time I lost with her. And so this Boston Globe article is really substantial because it's it's news media worthy and it's hitting major media. So we need to get this out there. So I spend my time advocating on this issue. Um, I speak all across the nation and testify before Congress, and I also uh, wrote a book on this that is a case study of what's happening which has the research and the legal behind it to prove what's happening to help all the mothers and children out there unable to be protected and their humanity rights are denied. There's nothing worse than for a person to go to court thinking that they're going to receive justice, fairness, that finally someone in authority will make the bad stuff stop and to get oh, just the yeah. absolute opposite response. The Boston it's Globe article... Yeah. The Boston Globe article that we were talking about, that we are talking about, was published January 30th of this year. It is called State Fumbled for Answers While Girl Was in Limbo. Now, the girl that they're talking about is a well, is a, an 8-year-old, was a 7-year-old girl. Her she told her mother that her daddy was was touching her and doing some things to her. The mother very appropriately went to the police. Then she went to her psychologist. Her psychologist investigated, her psychologist wrote um, she told people that supervised her visits with her mother that uh, this was happening. She did everything that we tell our children they should do 
when something like this is happening. And yet, failure. The courts decided that all of these people were incorrect, and they actually gave full custody, did they not, to the, the father? Uh, and yes, on several occasions. And, mm-hmm. and that sounds shocking. And I think for a lot of people, we think, when we haven't been exposed to this, we think, well, there must have been something really wrong with that mother. I mean, I've talked with lawyers who say, well, unless, unless the mother is an alcoholic or a drug addict or really terrible, she's going to get custody. Well, not so much, folks. Not so much. Marley, are you familiar with the 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 people for whom they uh, about whom the Boston Globe article was written? Are you familiar with that case? Um, I'm familiar with the article, but not that specific case. No, I'm I'm familiar with the people and the professionals that were in the case. A lot of them, but um, I think the main thing to get out there, from my standpoint, Heather, is that how many thousands and thousands of cases there are of these, and that I was kind of amazed when I was reading the article. Uh, I think it was Judge Blake stated um, that she still gave the child back to the father, even though there was evidence of abuse, and it's never the safety of the child first, and all these people involved, and that child was never protected. When I get calls every day from women in every single state, good, healthy, loving mothers trying to protect their children and unable to do so, exactly like what this case is coming down like. So I'm so proud of the Boston Globe that they got out there and wrote this, but there's so much more that needs to be investigated and so much more that needs to come out because this well, is Well, and I think that rampant. the important thing, as you point out, is that this is one case, and everybody can cluck their tongues and go, oh, look at how the system failed this poor child. But the fact mm-hmm. is, this happens every day in every state. Every day. There every day. Are, I get calls I, every day. I, I mean, If you Google, I mean, if you just do a little search, you'll find adult women who are talking about how this happened to them 10, 15 years ago, that they were forced to go live with a father who was sexually abusing them. We have a case, I live in Washington, we have a case in Washington uh, from many years ago where the girl actually turned 18 and sued. Now, I never have been able to find the disposition of that because, of course, most guardians ad litem, most court personnel are protected from suit. Um, so I don't know what happened with that other than it got some publicity and hopefully a little awareness. But she was forced to go live with a father who lived with his father, who was a pedophile who had been arrested for pedophilia. Well, look and at this yet case. the court I mean, allowed the was... child to go with this father and with this grandfather. And uh, it, it's just absolutely criminal. And I think it comes back to the point, well, you know what, let me just phrase this as a question. Why do the courts operate this way, Marley? Why are children passed like like a piece of grandma's china? Why are we not um, making the, the priority? The children are not being believed, but the children the children's safety is not coming first. I want to say it's a lack of training, but I think it goes much deeper than that. Um, judges are throwing out evidence of, of the court rape and what's going on. I mean, lots of evidence is coming into these courts. So like even in this case where this judge had evidence, man had abused a, a daughter or I, th- I think a sister in the past. I mean, the guy has an abusive background of raping, although he hasn't been prosecuted. That means nothing when these cases are not prosecuted because lots of prosecutors do not prosecute these cases, which they need to be prosecuted. So what I'm saying is just because this guy hasn't been prosecuted, we had a mom out of California recently that um, 
her little girl was being abused by the father, and, and she went through court system, and, and he had abused another little girl before that and had been in prison for raping the previous child at six years old. And they gave custody to that father. So this is rampant. This isn't a one-time incident. I know when I was going through this 25 years ago, 20 years ago, that that I couldn't believe what was happening. And you're, you're dumbfounded that our courts can do this. But you think you can trust them, like you said in the beginning, Heather, that that's where you go for you think that the courts are going to do the right thing and they're going to protect that child. That is not the case. So this article is so pertinent to get out there more so and a lot more heavy news media needs to cover this because there's so many of these cases and the judges are not listening and where this judge says you know um if there's oh that one judge in this article i don't know where that is heather but he did say that uh this very rarely happens most of the cases don't (laughs) that's opposite that is the very opposite i don't know well and i i I think that when, when we're looking at judges there's very little accountability. I mean, judges oh, don't have a what? boss that they have to go to. Um, and, and and so they pretty much, you know, shoot from the hip as much as they can unless they do something absolutely egregious and somebody actually files a formal complaint with whatever the state body is that supervises judges. But even that is very difficult. Marley, I want to interrupt and throw out our phone number here. Uh, please call in if you have a comment that you'd like to add to this very important discussion. 646 378 0430. That's 646-378-0430. We also have the chat room open if you want to just uh, type in a question or a comment, and I can share it with our, our guests. Marley, we already have a caller, so I'm going to go to our, our caller. Caller, are you there? Okay. Are you is there? Is me? Uh, is yes, it, me? it is you. Yes, okay. could you give us our, your first name and where you're from? Yes, my name is Valerie, and I actually live in Rochester, New York. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. Are you, do you have cold weather there? Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's actually uh, pretty cold. But I mean, it's this is a mild winter for Rochester, though. I got to tell you. Oh well, that's good. That's good. Well, uh, thank you for joining us, Valerie. What what is your your comment that you'd like to add or question for Marley? Well, Marley, first of all, um, I, I was really thrilled. Um, you know, to have you, you know, as part of the part of the group. I mean, you know, I know how widespread this issue is. I mean, I actually suffered for, through this myself. I mean, I, I never had, un, unlike some people, you know, I never had a single CPS complaint filed against me um, <clears throat> to the point where, you know, the judge, the judges in my case in two different states and the lawyers kind of kept my treatment of my own child out of, out of the equation. I mean, they didn't even bring it up because they knew that you know that I'd never, never mistreated her at all. And I know that's a that's a big issue. Um, you know, when when they change custody, is supposedly you know that there's an ex parte hearing that occurs, and you know the the non custodial you know father alleges that the child is in grave danger, and that's one of the two things that he alleges that, that results in, a, in in immediate immediate transfer of custody to the, to the father. Um, and then the other thing is that, that he alleges that the, the mother is about to flee the country with the child. So, I mean, that, that's how it's working. And yet, in- excuse me for interrupting, but I hear but- of mothers who face that every day and try to tell the courts the exact same thing about the father, and they're ignored. 
Right, right, and and that's right. true. And and I see I see women getting hit with restraining orders that that aren't even temporary. It's supposed to be a temporary restraining order. They're not they're not hit with temporary restraining orders. They're hit with permanent restraining orders. There are, there's no court hearing. They just arbitrarily decide it without a court hearing that the woman you know can't ever see her child again. Um, uh, it's incredible. And and meanwhile, you know I you know I filed for a temporary restraining order when I found out that my daughter was being abused on visits. I didn't know what was happening. He always wanted to take her out of state. He saw her an average of 26 days out of the year. He always had to take her out of state. I was never allowed to know where she was. Um, and, you know, and the second time she came home from summer visit and, and, and was acting out and, and, and complained that the boys at the daycare, you know, touched her under her panties, uh, a second time, you know, I tried to file a restraining order, and, and the judge still let him take her for Christmas. It was incredible. I, I was just like, I, I didn't even know it. I was beside myself. It's they wanted like to, um, I've, I've spoken. I've spoken with judges, and, and I've asked questions. Like, I understand the whole idea that okay, unless there's something documented, it's just he said, she said. I understand mm-hmm. that, that that that's you know I, I, that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand that because of impartiality and all that kind of stuff, you know, that it, unless there's some written history, you know, document some sort of charges, some sort of disposition, whatever, they have to look at it as, as absolutely equal on both sides. However, but Heather, even at that, are you there? Can I? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm my here. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I was just going to say, even at that, when it is documented and there is proof, these judges are not looking at the evidence. That really Absolutely. needs to come out because, exactly. because it doesn't matter how much evidence these cases are having. They're, it's blocked from coming into the court. That's what people out there need to hear. Um, it's not like a one-time incident, and this is not yep. a one-time judge doing it. There's thousands of them. But again, and so we're that's going back a, a point well made. But my 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 point is is that as a judge, if there's mm-hmm. any doubt whatsoever if there's any allegations whatsoever mm-hmm. even if it means removing the child from both parents until there's an investigation why isn't it better to err on the side of safety for the child absolutely why do that's they just the say well that's about. enough well Pardon? i mean i mean by the time we got to that point in court where he was suing for custody you know i'd pretty much abandoned that i mean i i had found a, a different way around it um, I, I did something strategic. My daughter and I worked on something strategic together that would that would help to shield her from uh, the sexual abuse. And um, okay, and what's we, that we, mean? What what does that mean? What Valerie? What does that mean? What did you do? Well, what what did what did we work on together? Well, um, well, uh, when I realized first of all that I couldn't get any documentation for the abuse that happened. I mean. I, I tried taking her to therapists, and no one would document anything. I took her to the Bavona Child Advocacy Center here on Lake Avenue in Rochester, and the woman said, well, you have a very precocious little girl, and, you know, when children are very intelligent, sometimes they experiment, you know. <laughs> so she wasn't... Oh, my God. Wasn't, yeah, I mean, I, and, and this, is, this is from what I understand, that that's like a little code word or a euphemism for children who have been molested is that they're precocious, you know, like they caused it themselves mm. you know like they were like um you know okay, I mean, so when get I was back under- to, to, to the strategy that you worked out with your daughter well no that well that was that was what led up to it i mean i remember hearing when i was younger my mother talking about a judge saying well that four-year-old was a very seductive little girl you know and they were they were Oy. referring to these little girls as as though they had brought it on themselves and so 
What I did was I took my daughter aside. Now, this was after two summers in a row of her being touched inappropriately like little by little boys, at supposedly little boys. We don't know who was touching her. But she would tell me things like, well, the boys made me feel really bad about myself. They made fun of me because I was, I was you know, because I have blonde hair. And, and they, they, um, they said I was a naughty girl and I was a bad girl. And the boy would make me watch him kissing other girls. And, and he would make me kiss the bare butts of Barbie dolls at daycare. I was just like, I couldn't do anything about it because all this stuff was happening out of state. I tried the first summer, at the end of the first summer, tried complaining to her dad. He did nothing whatsoever about it. And then it happened again the second year in a row. He, he didn't take her out. He didn't put her someplace else. And, and, you know, I was not sure that it was confined to, um, to the daycare where he had her at. So what I said to her was, I said, all right, you know, because her dad is in the military. I said, well, let's you know, I have a I have a background in media and culture. I have interdisciplinary degrees. I have a master of science at this point. At that time, I had a bachelor of arts um, in a visual culture and media literacy. And so, what I did was I took my daughter, and um, you know, her dad her dad is in the military. So I I rented a GI Jane, and I had her watch it. I said, well, this is this is what we're going to do. Um, now you understand that her her dad is is uh, you know he he's from Utah so he you know it's Mormon culture and actually there's a really heavy social stigma on being homosexual in um, in Mormon culture even much more so than than pedophilia so so being homosexual is worse than being you know a pedophile you know that no one's going to tell you that but when you when you get to know what the culture really is. You'll see okay, but, but I'm, I really, we're running out of time, and I really want to know what it is that you were able to work with on your daughter. What was the strategy that you came up with? Well, the strategy was she had long, beautiful blonde hair, and her, her dad really loved long, beautiful blonde hair. And so what I did was I showed her G.I. Jean, and I said, you know, let's talk about why Demi Moore cut her hair. Let's talk about what she was trying to accomplish. You know, what, what did she want her friends to think about her? She had a lot of guy friends, and she wanted to be treated differently, didn't she? Um, and so she wrote a paper. She was in second grade at the time. I had her write a paper for school about, about you know, cutting your hair. And, and then we did, we did a project for Christmas where we donated her hair to Locks of Love. And so then when her dad came to pick her up for Christmas, she had, um, she had a very short haircut, very short. It was called an inverted pixie bob, and it was quite a bit different. And after that visit, she didn't come home with the laughing, crying, hysterical little fits and the and the and the and you know, losing control of her bladder and she, you know, all of that stuff was gone at that point. Um, you know, so so, you know, we knew he was gonna come and abduct her eventually. I mean, after two thousand thirteen when I, I tried suing for custody again, I knew he was probably going to win. I knew there was no way I could win ever. And so we had to work on, on another strategy so that she she could shelter in place once she was living with her father uh, again. And, Marley, um, is, is this is, is this a reasonable? Uh, you know, we're jumping the gun here, and and maybe maybe what I'll do is I'll hold this question uh, for later on in the show. Yeah. Um, but uh, Valerie, do you have any other comments or questions? I, I'm so sorry. How is your daughter doing today? Um, she's, she's doing today. I found there was another strategy that I was able to find. A lot of these men, when they, you know, I mean, I'd been doing research on a lot of these groups and, and, you know, Lori Handrahan, who had her site shut down in 2012, I was really desperately trying to get in contact with some of these women way back then because I was having a very difficult time. I wasn't able to. I'm so thrilled 
that we're, we're all able to connect now so well on social media that, that wasn't really available uh, several years ago. But, um, you know, these men, what they really want to do is they want to see you suffer. So if there's, if there's any way, if there's any way at all you can find to connect with your kids, I mean, she's a little older, and I realize this is difficult to do with younger children, but... Um, you know, come up with come up with the secret language, come up with secret places, you know. I mean, try to connect online as much as possible. At this point, she has an email address. She doesn't check it very much because her dad doesn't let her go on the computer, but she's also managed to talk her dad into letting her talk to me once a week. And um and that's because I didn't I didn't call repeatedly. I mean, you know, we have to calm down the panic in our own reaction to what's happening. We have to sort of really take stock of it and control ourselves and not okay. panic. Okay, thank you so much for sharing your story, Valerie. Uh, Marley, is there any uh, parting words you'd like to say? No, I, I was just thinking what she was saying, uh, pretty much what it is. is uh, these men use coercive control so much, and yeah. and it works because um, it, it shuts the women down. So like where Valerie's saying, she didn't call her all week or whatever. She just I didn't call her for a back. year, close to a year. I mean, Well, a year, yeah. See, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's really, really important. Fs and moms can stay in those children's lives, and, of course, not keeping them from, the, from those yeah, children's yeah. lives. They need well, to stay in gonna, those children's we're gonna lives. Talk to Closer to the end of the nope. show, we're going to talk about more okay. about what we can do about this. So uh, I want to explore uh, Valerie's comments a little bit more as we get toward the end. Thank you so much for your call, Valerie. I really appreciate it. And, and good luck Love with you. establishing. Thanks, Thanks for talking Thank to me. You. <laughs> All right. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, uh, for those of you who would like to call in, the number again is 646-378-0430. Please give us a call if you've experienced this or if you have questions about it. Marley, um, the, the situation that Valerie was talking about is pretty dire, and you hear about this every single day, right? Mm-hmm, you hear from, from women? Um, what Good, healthy, loving moms. Yeah, yeah, who didn't do yeah. anything wrong, who didn't do nothing. anything they wrong. They have nothing in their background. They have no drugs, no nothing. I've seen their uh, documents, their court orders, and um, it's, it's just unbelievable that these good, loving mothers just trying to protect their children are losing them to the abusers. And it's, like I said, rampant, rampant. And I don't know that, I mean, I think it's very important when they do lose and they end up in supervised visits because they're trying to protect their child and the court has ordered them into supervised visits because they won't shut up. We have a lot of social media out there, like Val was saying, and and today where we didn't have that in my day, these women are connecting like crazy but we have a whole collage of women that have gone to jail, have been gagged uh, for trying to protect their children. This is, well, you know, you why, the, why the, does that the, happen? You, you mentioned the gagging. And I have to tell you, I, I know you're probably familiar with this, but our listeners may not be. And that is we – there's a case in Michigan that's been going on since last summer where three children mm-hmm. um, were – said that they would not see their father, that their father was abusive and that they had seen him hit their mother and that they were not going to go with them. And these were three perfectly normal children. I think the oldest was 14. Yeah. And the judge went ballistic and said what a wonderful man their father was and that they were being little brats and that they, in fact, were going to go to juvenile detention until they were willing to wake up and go see their wonderful father. And she did. Uh, and, she and, sent them. 
And she took yeah. them away from the mother, and these kids spent uh, weeks in a juvenile detention facility, even though they'd never done separate, anything wrong. They'd never broken facility. the law. And then she pulled them out, and she put them in some sort of reunification scam uh, program. <laughs> um, and I've been trying to get people to get on the show to talk about that particular situation, and the, they're all afraid to say anything because the judge will be more punitive than he already has been. Or she, it was a she. Actually, the the female judge has now resigned from the case. Well, she got so much yeah, flack, she resigned from the case. She's getting a lot so I don't know who the new judge is, whether it's a male or a female. I, I don't know. But um, oh. But everybody's afraid. They're afraid to talk about this. So how, well, I don't you know, see it that way so much. I see it coming out very heavily for that case, and I and I think it's really good. There's been lots of articles written, um, and they're really going up against that judge. He actually took another mother that the uh, mother had cancer. I think she was in stage three cancer and took her children from her. And so I, I this that judge. Oh, that's is really the one where the judge said she was basically doing this as a favor for the the mother. Um, because yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the mother it, couldn't hear. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And I, I just find her, I mean, it's amazing to me, one thing between you and I here there and for everybody out there, but how many women judges are doing this? I'm just appalled at these women judges, and it doesn't matter from what walk of life they're coming from. They're doing the same thing. And they're yeah. and they're dismissing these charges, and they're stating that you know they they don't listen to the children. These kids are older, and so why would the judge not listen to those children? And even when the children are younger, bring them into court and talk to them in the chambers. Get educated, get trained on abuse, understand coercive control, understand domestic violence, understand sexual abuse. And if you can't understand it, and you're a judge, and you don't, and you're not trained in this area. These cases don't belong in family courts. That's all I have to say. They belong in criminal court. These are crimes being committed against children and women. And I am saying mostly that, children and women, because most abusers are men. And yep. that's stats to prove that. And most of the rapes are caused by men. And most of the child abuse that's happening, I mean, yes, there are women out there, but I'm going to say it's so minute in comparison that if we don't take a look at how we're raising our boys in this country and figure out what's going on at our society, and then we have a court system that won't protect our children, we're, we're starting a whole society of more problems and we want to think of the more problems are just multiplying where it goes into the ACE study if anybody knows about that so we can go into that later but that's the ACE research study which shows the damage to these kids with coming out with the PTSD and heart attacks and sicknesses that will go on for their lifetime and when you yeah. sentence a child like this to live with an abuser when with like this judge did and like the judge did in my case with my own daughter that's that is a sentence. That's a lifetime of abuse. They are dealing with that for a lifetime. This isn't a just a, you're, you're going to uh, fix this for the moment. You're not fixing anything. You're sending that child to a lifetime of abuse. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that, you know, there there are assumptions that courts make. I think, uh, although I have certainly known individual judges, and I, I, I have known them, liked them, respected them, for some reason when we're just reviewing certain judicial actions. Sometimes I see that judges can be very arrogant. They are, uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I've seen that. And they seem to feel, a lot of them, again, I'm making a sweeping generalization, and I apologize to all the really, you know, wonderful judges, judges out there. But Yeah, yeah, but but 
what I am seeing in a lot of cases is a level of arrogance where the judge gets on that bench and decides that he or she knows everything, period, the end. And nobody's going to shake their beliefs that they know what's going on. And, and right. in some ways, you know, what's so dangerous about that is because they, a lot of people feel that way. Um, we all base our opinions about other people on our own experiences. So if we have never experienced domestic violence, we make a whole right. slew of assumptions about that woman who's going through that situation. We make assumptions about whether she's relating it correctly. We make assumptions about whether mm-hmm. she's really impacted by that. We make assumptions, all sorts of assumptions, based on what we know to be true in our lives. If we have experienced violence, then we make assumptions that are different. Okay? For so many of us, we have never experienced sexual abuse. We have never experienced a father who would sexually abuse his children. So I think that there is a level of doubt when somebody says this happens. It never happened to me. Well, you know, they must be exaggerating or they must be but making they know it up. The studies, Heather, I can't give them that excuse because they know the studies that we've got all these incest survivors out there for how, how many hundreds of thousands of them they are coming forward and have been for quite some time, clear back in the 1980s when they first came out or whatever. So they know that. And they know about domestic violence that has been going on forever. So it's not like they don't know this goes on. You can't turn a blind eye to it, even though it hasn't happened to you. And and everybody out there is going to be touched by this in some way. You're going to have an aunt, an uncle, or a daughter, a sister, a brother. Somebody's going to go through this. And our society has to take a look at this because it, the damage is beyond repair right now. And, and I don't want to make it out to a doom and gloom, but my main goal is to save the children. I, I cannot stand seeing what I, what I see happening with the children. And, and we can't just blame this on judges. We've got to blame this on the social service system, social workers, um, the incompetency that's happening that direction, the GALs, the guardian ladems. These are lawyers for the child that are supposed to represent the child. Um, you know, the lawyers that are, that, that are going in there and not fighting these cases, most of these mothers go pro se. And when they do, some of them, I, I tell them lots of times too, because they do a better job than most of their attorneys because at least they get to speak because they have a voice. Most of the time you don't the have a voice. The problem with that, and, and, Marley, is that, that the, we, it, it, all you have to do is to be a woman who's traumatized and who behaves as if she's traumatized, and you get discounted. Judges will discount you. Well, you are. You. You're discounted, and, and you're discounted anyway. I don't care if you're so together yeah. in there. It doesn't matter. You're discounted. It doesn't matter. I, I, what I'm trying to say is, no, I'm not saying go. I think you have to have a good attorney and you have to have the best attorney you can get. But if you can't get that best attorney you can get and you go pro se, you can do the job. You can, you know, you. it depends on the mom, too. Some moms just could never do it. I have to say they couldn't. But most of these moms that I'm dealing with are so strong and so incredible and they're pulling their cases together and they're shifting information here. I tried this motion. Did you try this? Have you tried that? They're going to the Supreme Court. I mean, this stuff is getting out to the news media now, and it's going to start hitting. I mean, it started, Newsweek just had an article, um, I think it was yesterday, um, going into this a little bit. So I, I just see it coming full circle. And when it does, I mean, when people, the general public, have an idea what our court system is doing and how incompetent it is and the fact that children are suffering to this degree, and women, I say women because obviously you're like you're saying, Heather, I am that woman that did suffer those consequences in court and couldn't protect my daughter and was in a domestic violence relationship and 
was in court for 10 years trying to protect my daughter and lost everything I owned. So I know what comes down in these cases. And I have all the evidence, and I watched the judge sort out. So these other moms that are out there fighting and these children are out there fighting for their lives, this is their life. To have to be forced to go live with an abuser, can you think of anything worse for a no. child? And, that, and, that, that uh, cried uh, out uh, for uh, help, they're telling you, hey, they're telling that policeman, this little girl in this Boston Globe, yep. she told yeah. people. She told everybody, and, and my daughter told policemen, doctors, social workers, psychologists, articulate in detail. How do you think those children feel when they've been told to tell and nobody protects them? Nobody. Oh, exactly. Not the mother exactly. can't protect them. And, they, and it, what are they supposed to think? You know, they think policemen are good. They've told the policemen. This isn't, they're not making this stuff up. Children can't make this stuff up. I mean, I, when they can sit there and say she was coached, are you kidding me? When they're that little, I, they can't be coached. You can't train a kid to say the things these kids are saying. That's it's appalling. It's just appalling. And you know what's so, so fascinating to me about all of this, Marley, is that didn't we have this discussion 25 years ago? Didn't we oh, Heather, yes. come to the conclusion that children do not lie about these things 25 years ago? Mm-hmm. And yet here mm-hmm. we are. You know, um, one of the things that... that uh, you know, we we keep talking about. Well, and we talk about why does the court not believe? Why do the professionals not believe? I have an article from the American Psychological Association, which is actually a good resource for for folks um, in these situations. And this article um, states it says some professionals assume that accusations of physical or sexual abuse of children that arise during divorce or custody disputes are likely to be false. But the empirical research to date shows no right. such increase in false reporting at that time. In many instances, That's children true. are frightened about being alone with a father. They have, been, they have seen use violence toward their mother or father has, been, has abused them. Sometimes children mm-hmm. make it clear to the court that they wish to remain with the mother because they are afraid of their father, but their wishes are ignored. Absolutely. That is more, that says it in a nutshell. It really does. And it goes further. It's because once again, I'll repeat it a million times, is the safety of the child first. I I don't really care about the parents. If you went in there and you don't care about either parent and and you go for the safety of the child first, and the fact that the child is disclosing abuse in any way, shape, or form, and the fact that there's domestic violence going on and we're not looking at it, um, you know about Dr. Saunders' report, uh, Don Saunders. Dan Saunders, well, he's with the Justice Office, and he was asked to do a study, and his study is incredible. And he said, you know, really your experts out here are people like, I don't, I, I'm not sure, um, but it, people that have actually been in a domestic violence relationship, say myself or whoever, are more of an expert than anybody on this. They lived it. So let these people come forward and tell what's happening and, and educate these judges and these lawyers and these psychologists and all these people. And even these psychologists trained in it. He, he pulls up in his study showing the CFIs are not even, the custody evaluator, what a CFI is. They're not trained to handle um, these kind of cases or, or, or to understand. It's not, they don't even have the, um, it's, they try to put it in the MMPI. I can't remember, but it's it's a lot of information that is going nowhere until we get people educated. We pull these cases into criminal court. That these women's humanitarian rights and and humanity rights of the children are not de- denied. Your, your civil rights are denied. You have no. Um, you're, 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 you they do no expeditionary hearings. There's no. Uh, there's nothing. You know, it, it's like they don't allow anything to the courtroom. 
So if nothing's going into the courtroom and it's not being really litigated or tried, no evidentiary hearing, that's what I meant to say earlier, with evidentiary hearings, um, and not allowing the evidence in, and, and you're allowing this abuser to walk away with this child, that coercive control. And I know you can take over on this, Heather, because you're really well-versed in that, but you know, Evan Stark's book and all this coercive control is so true. I lived it. I know what it is. And once you give that abuser that control and domestic violence, they've abused you, and then the courts take your child and hand your child over to that abuser, that's the ultimate of abuse. That's the off the chart of abuse. Because now yeah. you have just re-victimized that woman and child all over again. So and you re-victimize it, not just at that moment in time. You have re-victimized them for the entire future of that child's life. And oh, I yeah. think that's what we're getting lost with. Um, one of the things that I have seen in courts is the I, – I, I really believe that, you know, if, if somebody came down tomorrow and handed me a magic wand, one of the things that I would do would be to conduct court demeanor classes for every protective mother, because it hits protective mothers so hard. It hits almost all mothers so hard when something bad is going to happen to their children, and then when they are powerless to do anything to prevent it, it is absolutely crazy-making. It is crushing for a woman to experience that. So if I had a magic wand, I would give demeanor classes to all these women because they take that pain, that anguish, that crushing, that and that history of abuse because chances are that that man is not just abusing a child. He is somehow abusing the mother as well and the rest of the family. Well, so they take the all of that children, that yeah. they have experienced, all of that crushing emotional stuff, all of that horrible stuff, and of course it's with them. They're carrying it like baggage, and they go into a courtroom, and the response of the court personnel are, well, she's a mess, and he's got it together. So no, Heather, though, I gets, have to say, if, if I, I watch that to, a lot. Mm-hmm. I watch that a lot with moms going into court, and, and, and I've watched, you know, how they are treated and everything. But, but the bottom line is I've watched the mothers that have cried hysterically. I've watched it didn't, doesn't matter whether you're crying, you're emotional, you're non-emotional. If you're emotional, you're too emotional. If you're not emotional, you're cold. So these yep. women are being labeled before they even walk into the courtroom. They're labeled as hysterical. They're labeled as post-traumatic stress disorder. They're labeled as PAS, parental alienation syndrome. Oh, my God, have they used oh, that huge and from the 80s yeah. they're back? And we can go into that in detail because, you know, that and, is still uh, being used. Let me used. just throw and in here for a minute. Richard Gardner, who came up with that, was a pedophile, okay? <laughs> he, 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 <laughs> oh, I, have to be, I have to caution my, my words. He supported... Pedophilia. Well, let's say this, Heather. He states in his own he he self published and he sent his book to every publishing company, uh, every courthouse in the nation. And what he states in his own books is, we all have some pedophilia within us that we need to have more pity for the pedophile than scorn. That yeah. it makes little girls and little boys better sexual partners. That mm-hmm. um, the the pedophile needs to be able to come out of the closet and choose whom they want to love. Now these are out of his own book. Um, the man. Uh, ended up committing suicide maybe uh, eight or nine years ago and stabbed himself seven or eight times in his upper body. He stated he graduated, that he was a professor at Columbia University. He wasn't. He was never no. a professor there. And, he worked in the and daycare. He, so, he worked in the yeah. daycare. <laughs> really? I did a, a research paper on this man when I was in my master's program. He worked in well, the good. daycare. 
Yeah, so, I mean, so you know oh my what God. he's done. And then this man was in my case. Um, they paid him, the GAL, Gardner Lightham, in my case, paid Gardner on my case. And I was on CNN International News, an hour-long program um, on parental alienation syndrome. And Gardner was on that program. That's the only video media that we have of Gardner. And, and that's huge. It's a critical. And the, CNN did an incredible job. And it just showed, you know, how he said, tell these mothers, gag them. You know, and take your children away from them. You know, so I mean, on what grounds? You know, where was you know, and and our 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 court system took on his theories, and that's that was in the eighties. That's when my case was going, and I was labeled with PAS, and I was, and then there was Underwater. But did you study Underwater and Wakefield too? Did you ever study them while you were doing no. Gardner? Well, Underwater and Wakefield are the ones that wrote the Padika brief back then, and the Padika brief is right under there with right in log with. Uh, Gardner. So all those three stuck together. They were used heavily in my case. So they used parental alienation syndrome. The reason I lost my daughter to the abuser was because I had PAS, parental alienation syndrome. And yes. they quoted, I have the judge's order in my book where he quotes Gardner and quotes what the evaluators are stating that I have PAS. So it's a debunked science. We know that. And it's not approved by the AMA or the APA. Right. American right. Medical Association or, uh, or, or the um, uh, ABA, the Bar Association doesn't approve of it either. Yeah, That's yeah, my but they're still using it. Yeah. I get calls. I get calls every day where they're still using it. If they don't use PAS, they use it in another form. But they're using yeah. PAS, so they won't bring well, up the, PAS. Well, there's an label. organization out there called the um, what is it? The the uh, Family Concili- Association of Family and Conciliatory Courts. Uh. Oh, my God. I mean, I actually joined the organization because I thought, oh, how wonderful. We can get all of these I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you. Why would you do that? Well, wait. (laughs) You know, I went to a conference, and every bloody conference was promoting parental alienation syndrome. So you know me, Marley. I mean, what do I do? I go up afterwards, and I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. You know? Whoa, 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 do you I realize know. that this has been dis- – yeah. and and they are actually – I'm in Seattle, and they're actually having a conference in a couple months in Seattle, and I actually called the president of the local chapter, and I said, you know, everything, everything from this group is PAS, 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 even though it's been debunked and discredited, and, you know, from every organization mm-hmm. from the APA to the ABA to, you know, the AMA, but and yet you guys are still focusing on this, and his response was, well, we know it's out there. We know it exists. Oh, you can't talk to these people because I called the guy, um, Peter Sayon, the executive director or whatever, CEO of, of the whole AFCC organization, and I talked to him, and you're not going to get through to those people. This is a, But what's sad is a lot of other professionals are going into this not knowing what these people are doing, and yeah. it's just huge, and it's so much bigger than I thought. Like I was, I kind of stay focused on what I'm doing and I'm trying to get to the media. That's why I spend most of my t- time on is getting the media to take these cases and, and, and get this out there so the public knows what's going on. But um, I was looking up stuff on them the other day and I did not sleep all night after I read what I read. I was sick. I was absolutely sick. And I thought, oh my God, this is so big. We've got to go up against these people because that, they're, they're very damaging what they're doing. I think so, too, because they're they're promoting this stuff that their own professional organizations have debunked, and yet they're hanging on to it. So we only have about 15 minutes left, and I want to move on to, I mean, we can talk about the outrages for hours, but let's move to um, what, what can we do about it? What can we do about this? And 
my little thing well, is every I... time I get another uh, notice from from these these folks, you know, I'm out there saying, you know, I'm at least saying, you know, this is nonsense. This is not supported by the research. Blah 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 blah. But uh, you know, and the moms that are out there, you know, thank God they, as Valerie was saying, there's social media now where they can get together and support each other, share ideas. Yeah, thank God for that. But what are we going to do about not necessarily the individual cases? What are we going to do about a culture, a family court culture, that supports this? Well, I I still believe that it's. It's education um, and, and uh, training, like I said, like through Dr. Saunders. They need training. They need education that way. I still say it does not belong in family court. They can't, they're not, they, they can't handle it. These are criminal cases. They belong in criminal court. Then my third thing is that this is a human rights issue, and I believe that, uh, you know, we need to take it as a woman and children's human rights issue and then and, and absolutely hit it that direction. And then I believe in the Safe Child Act that um, – Stop Abuse Now and Barry Goldstein's put out there is to every court take on that legislation and you and those children have to be safe and and once you look at the dynamics of what is safe if we're going to have to leave it in family court I'm saying if it has to stay there but but I'm just saying that there's a lot those are all, all of those things are options and then I believe that we need to educate the public on the ACE study with Dr. Vincent Valetti showing how much um, sickness this is causing in our society, and, and then there's actually studies that prove it's over $500 billion, I think it's even higher than that, of, of damages to our society yearly, $500 billion. I mean, if we could get Hillary Clinton, I know um, Barry Goldstein and I kind of wrote an article, well, we wrote an article for Mel Voice magazine on the fact that this could save $500 billion a year. Come on, wh- where, where are these politicians allowing this to go on? So it's huge. And we need a huge, huge campaign. But I, my personal, my personal avenue is the media, because I don't believe you get anything done, we get anywhere until we see articles like we just saw in the Boston Globe, until we get the news and uh, Newsweek or we get CNN to pick this up again, until people hear it. Because here we are out here, you and I, every day working on abuse issues and the stuff that we work on, and until that media hits it, nothing's going to happen. We've got to have the media. Right. That's my opinion. You go. What do you think? You have to have a public that understands. So, again, we come back to, you know, judges and court personnel are part of the public. You know, they see a lot of stuff that the general public doesn't, but they still have the attitudes and the assumptions and everything that that the general public has. So are we looking at some sort of two-pronged education? Are we doing just general public education? Is that what we're striving for? Or are we actually trying to hone in on courts, judges, court personnel, guardians ad litem, and the, the psychologists that support this industry? Um, you know, what, what are we doing? Changes. And what it's are some society, of the organizations that are doing it? Well, I, I still believe it's a, it's a society cause. It's a societal change. It's going to take all those things. I don't believe one of those things is going to do it. But I personally believe until it gets to the public so they hear these stories and they hear what's happening and they see what these judges are doing and they, these people are being held accountable. There's, we're starting, um, it's called Moms Fight Back here in Colorado, and um, we are starting a log. It's not even a log. It's, it'll be where actually we go in and survey the judges. And it's going to be a survey that's going, going on the website. So it'll be judges. Then we'll start with the GALs and attorneys and 
social work, everybody, we're just going to have a, a, a place to go where we can comment, and then we're taking those comments to the media. So we're going to keep a whole survey going. I mean, it's, we're just setting up the website now. But that's what's got to happen. It's got All people have to come together. And I, there's too many people out there doing too many different things with this issue, and the women are suffering, the moms are suffering so bad that they can't, they're doing really well with the Internet, and, and, and like people like myself that wrote a book on this whole issue, it needs to get out there. Those are the things that need to get out there to the public so they know this is going on because this, they don't. Most people would say, oh, women don't lose custody. And, and yeah. children are abused. They're protected. They don't, they don't have to go live with their abuser. Try and tell yeah. me, like, if you, if you forced a child, a man's raping a child around the corner, he's a, a derelict, and you forced that child to go live with that derelict and continue to be raped, what would the public do? Because it's no different than what they're doing right now in the courts. And, and these women are losing everything they own and their minds trying to protect their children with everything they've got, and they can't. They're, they're yeah. totally judged even worse. So the children are forced to live with the abusers. That is the bottom line. And why? I mean, I, I, I still co- keep coming back why? to this. Why? Is, is, because why if we can't is, I, I think it goes the back in generations. We I mean, can't back... pinpoint the solu- Well, wait a minute, Marley. If we can't pinpoint the reasons, then we can't pinpoint the solutions. And I guess what I'm carving away at is the why, 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 why. Are we looking at um, just gendered assumptions that have stuck with us? Are we t- talking yes. about privilege? Are we talking about, yes. um, you know, what are we talking about here for the underlying cause of all of this? What you just said. We have to have all the good men come forward. What, what, what she we said. Have, what she said. What, 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 that, what that Heather woman just said. Because we yeah. need to have all the good men come forward and stand with us on this. It's just like the domestic violence thing. I'm going to give you a really good example, if I can do it very quickly. Is sure. um, Joan Pennington was a big attorney in all this over 25 years ago. We had a rally at the Capitol. She stood on those Capitol steps, and she was she was domestic she was abused, and um, she had five kids, and she would sit on the Capitol steps to try and get help. Nobody would help her. She went to law school. She kept getting calls from mothers like myself and thought we were crazy. This can't be happening. She ends up. Um, standing on the Capitol steps when we had this rally, and she said, this is, like the civil, no, she says, took him 20 years to listen to domestic violence. Now, you've got in mind, that's 25 years ago. Took him 20 years to listen to domestic violence. We don't have another 20 years for them to listen to this issue. These two things are related. I believe domestic violence and this happening to the kids are related. I, most of these cases, most of them, I can't say all of them, but most of these cases there's domestic violence first, and then it moves into the abuse of the children. So this is a good way for coercive control, and it's, it's training, it's education, like you said. But there's something you just said I really want. I just because what you're saying is it's the Civil Rights Act of the 60s. This is the movement of the 90s. We're in 2015, and there's still the same things happening. So what do we mm-hmm. need to pinpoint? I think we need education, but I think that we need. I, I you're not going to get education until the media hears about this. Until people hear this in their head, they're not going to listen. They're not going to go true. out and read about it. So unless we get the media to look at this and see how much this is happening and how how much our children are suffering, I don't believe all the education and training in the world is going to do it because if those judges get scrutinized, once that hits the media and they say, oh, my God, that judge just got pulled off the bench, he just got removed from the bench for being a sexist, biased judge and delivering punishing quarters to mothers and not protecting children, that's huge. Start removing these judges from the benches and start, you know, seeing what's yes. going on. And, and so I see that that is beginning to happen just a tiny bit. 
Are you seeing that? I think that it's very difficult to remove a judge from the bench, and I know that because in my own case, my judge got removed from the bench, and in the history of Colorado, only two judges have been removed from the bench, so it's very, very difficult. Um, I don't see that happening unless the media is behind it and they get so much slack and get so much not, you know, they're not being held accountable and they see the monies that are going into this and the, and the, the disgusting pain that's going involved and children, what's happening. No, not until it, gets, until it gets out there and people hear more than one little case here and one little case there. It has to be hit so heavy, saturated, until people go, wow, we got a problem. You know, yeah. you don't listen to what's going on in Syria. You don't listen to what's going on in any of... I, I remember years ago I would fly to a, a foreign country and and I'd hear the news and i go, oh, my God, I had no idea that was going on. I had no idea that was going on. Because the U.S. keeps that news away, a lot of news media that would help us to understand what's really going on. Right now the U.S. news media will not touch these cases. I have not... I've seen so many women try and get their cases to the media to get help, and they're not touching them. You asked, we well, you asked know, Marley, that's not, not a shock to me. We did a show a, a month or so ago about uh, women's influence in the media, and I can't quote you the statistics, but the, the, the Women's Media Center has these statistics. They did the report, and sexual assault stories, something like 70% of them are reported by men. Something like, you know, 65% of the exports yeah, of the quotes are taken too. from men. Um, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> You know, yeah. I no, mean, you know what that, you know that was? That, I saw that too. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is it a shock that that you know we're we're seeing this? You know, and I hate to paint all men with this brush because there's some men out there doing some wonderful things um, in the area of, of of domestic violence and sexual assault, trying to get a handle on it, trying to do what they can to, mm-hmm. to get a handle on it. But the fact is, um, you know, if if you have not been vulnerable in that way whether as a child who's been abused or as a woman who's been abused, sexually assaulted, whatever, if you have not been vulnerable in that way, it is very difficult for you to empathize and see what that means to a person. Oh, no, it's not. I don't agree. I'm going to disagree really? with you. Yeah. I can't imagine. If I didn't know anything about this and somebody told me that a, this child was raped or this mother had lost custody and she was being domestically abused and the courts took all her money and bankrupted her and gag ordered her and sentenced her to jail. Are you kidding me? I would be outraged and I would absolutely Well, I think you're missing a little on. bit of my point, Marley. What I was saying is it is difficult okay. for people to empathize when, I mean, they, I mean, all of us would say, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Um, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it is difficult okay. if, if we haven't experienced a vulnerability in our life. I mean, name me one woman who has never walked down a dark alley without feeling super vulnerable. Now, maybe men do too. I don't know. But I, I, I right. you know, I mean, almost without exception, I've never talked to a woman who didn't feel like if she was walking alone down a dark street, she was really vulnerable. Well, and she you're had getting to, to the gender issue and the, and the paternity deal where you said earlier, and I said all of the thing, all of the above of what you said, Yes, it goes mm-hmm. back centuries. It goes back to the paternity of fathers. I mean, you know, in in our in these in these cases, most fathers don't want custody. And my case wasn't a custody case, and I still lost my daughter. So it wasn't anything to do with custody; it was to do with abuse. But in these cases, seventy percent of the cases where 
fathers want custody, they get custody. Most fathers don't want custody. And when you're really a good parent, you work out visitation out. But if it's exactly. a custody issue and you're fighting it, they don't work it out. They're out to get no. their children to, to fight. They have to win. And then when it they goes, have to win. And then 90% the of the cases, yeah. when there's sexual abuse, they're winning custody, 90%. So those are the stats. So, you know, this goes way back. We can go into the fact that it's it's a paternity thing and, and fathers have more rights than women, and it, it's true. You know, we are on a – women and children are coming second. When you go into that courtroom, you are second class. I, I don't care. I don't care if you're a woman judge. I don't know why women judges are doing what they're doing. And I'm not – I am a feminist, but I, I, I'm just saying to you, I can't say that – if I'd never experienced this, I wouldn't have that empathy. I I personally would. Maybe it's the way I was raised. Yeah. I would have the empathy to say, wow, this is not going any further. Okay. okay. Well, and, and I do agree with you. I don't know. Maybe I just phrased it incorrectly. But I, I guess what no, I'm you saying is it's hard right, for us to really grasp it. things when we don't have any basis of understanding. That That's what I meant. Well, um, and there are people that nothing's ever touched their lives. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we don't, we have. I can't believe this hour has gone so quickly, Marley. We, we're going to have to do this again. As a matter of fact, you and I have talked okay. about doing a whole series about child custody issues, and uh, right. we're going to have those coming up beginning March 5th. So uh, we're going to focus yeah, on child custody on. issues. And um, and we're really going to explore this in depth because, wow, I mean, we, we really need to do as much as we can on this. But meanwhile, we've got two minutes left, and I would like, if you had two websites or two resources for women who are experiencing this, what what would you refer them to? Um, well, I would refer them to books first. I would refer them to, um, there's lots of information out there with the books. I, I, I know, like, um, Lundy Bancroft's book, Barry Goldstein and Mohana's book, my book, um, Leora uh, Rosen's book is really interesting. She goes into the history of what's happening. My book for the case study to show, um, you know, it's got all the research and the legal. Well, well, it will the educate the judges and church. Oh, prosecuted but not silenced. Uh, prosecuted but not silenced. It's on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, and you can go to my website, which is mm. It's m mclean. Um, God, I don't know my website, mmcclean.tateauthor.com. And actually, you know, I think it's really important, too, is um, there's lots of um, California Protective Parents Association, uh, Stop Abuse Now. Uh, these are uh, websites you can go to. Mothers of Lost Children is huge. They've got great information there, I think, for moms to see what's happening. Uh, Safe Kids International um, and Women's Coalition, which um, there's lots of them. There's just so many. Yeah. You just need to research and get in there and get help. And, and, the, and the key um, words are protective, protective mother. Look under yeah, protective, protective mother moms, if you Google. Moms, yeah. um, mm-hmm. And are there other? Is there another keyword you can think of? I, I think protective mother. I think might be a good one. Um, again, I, I'm racing here because I'm looking at the clock. Okay, I do I'll end go. our show with a quote. Uh, Marley, thank you so much for being here. We're going thank to do this you, again Heather. in March, and uh, we're going to explore this issue even more in depth. Um, thank you to our callers. Thank you to the people in our chat room. I'm sorry I tried to address all of the questions that were presented there. Um, but I tro- do end the show with a quote, and this one is from Kofi Annan. There is no trust more sacred than the one the world holds with children. There is no duty more important than ensuring that their rights are respected, that their welfare is protected, and that their lives are free from fear and want, and that they can grow up in peace. 
Thank you so much for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. Next week we have a physician, an OBGYN from uh, the Appalachian area. She's going to talk about the um, uh, impact of health care, obstetric care, uh, and maternal health. So join us next week on Three Women, Three Ways. Thank you so much for being here. And again, starting March 5th, we're going to do a a series of shows on child custody issues. And uh, we're lining up some wonderful people, including Marley McLean again. So thank you for joining us, Three Women, Three Ways. And um, uh, please, you know, feel free to go to our archives and listen to this show again. Thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) 